Well, this here is Lenore Zan, a.k.a. Rogue, from the X-Men animated series. And I want to say welcome to a special episode of Power of X-Men, sugar. Enter now the age of apocalypse, sugar, with your hosts, Dayspring and Scott Free. Xavier is dead. Apocalypse reigns. This is the age of apocalypse. Welcome to Power of X-Men Apocalypse, the podcast where we review every single issue of the classic reality warping high-octane epic X-Men crossover event known as Age of Apocalypse. I am your host, Dayspring, and Familia, listen, you know I love to use the word icon quite a bit. You know I never get starstruck, but tonight we have an iconic X-Men guest who has given me the biggest smile on my face. She helped make X-Men a household name. Among her many accomplishments, she was the voice of Caldino on Magic Knight Ray Earth, one of my favorite animes, and a former member of Parliament, because those two accomplishments are equal. With the utmost pleasure, please welcome Lenore Zan, a.k.a. Rogue from the X-Men animated series! Woo! All right, what an in- what an intro, man! I don't know if I can live up to that. Oh, stop <laughs> it! Oh my God, Lenore! <laughs> I mean, we've out of my mind. <laughs> stop it! You know I have to ask about the voice. Do the voice? Can you do the voice? Yeah, just get out of my mind. I don't know. I remember when I was thirteen, I had me a boyfriend. Had me a boyfriend till I kissed him. Poor boy went into a coma for three days. Scott, so if I touched anybody, just drove the life right out of him. Oh, I don't know, Beast. You know everything. What makes us like the way we are anyway? Oh, my God. <laughs> I, for- I think we're just going to say hello, Paul. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God, Lenore. <laughs> it is with it right off the bat, right? Lenore, so... I, I don't know if I told you this in our email exchange. Rogue was my gateway X-Men, uh, gateway X-Man to the X-Men. I got her 94 Fleer Ultra. My primo gave it to me. Like my abuela didn't want to take us to the comic book store. Yeah. And my, my cousin just gave me the card of you, of Rogue. Yeah. And I was like, who is this woman with super strength and can absorb people's memories and then the kicker for me was her name was unrevealed and i'm like who is she and so rogue was my gateway into the x-men and then of course your performance wow thank you and and did she help you to also realize that it's okay to be different from other people and that we're all you know that we are who we are and we we can't change that and guess what we don't want to <laughs> i i yes i mean well first of all on the playground everyone all the boys would pick cyclops wolverine cable and i was like i want to be rogue and i went around and i would grab the boys cheeks because i was absorbing their powers <laughs> you know so um yeah I, I've never tried that myself. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, yeah, and I've, I've said this before to Eric and Julia and, and Larry, the, the X-Men, I saw the metaphor growing up and mm-hmm. it was so on the nose. I mean, because of performers like you, you know, mm-hmm. Rogue Story, the, the first season were the cure. 
when when she is confronted with all of that you know decision making and she looks at cyclops and gene holding hands and and she was different but she comes to realize who she is is actually a strength and i reckon i can live with that after all (laughs) i can't do it like you I don't even know if I could do it. But um, but yeah, that's the end for me. I thought that was such an important message to give kids and youth in our world. And that was 30 years ago. Now they, they need it just as much now as they did then. Oh, yes. And, you know, it is official. It is known to the universe you're returning for X-Men 97. Yes, you better believe it. (laughs) We have a a couple questions about that that we'll get into later on. And spoilers, we are not going to ask any spoilers for it, but we will ask for for context. Um, But can I ask a question? How, How does the daughter of a high school teacher and professor in Australia become rogue. What was your, <laughs> like, what, what is your, what was your journey towards acting? You know, um, I have a great imagination. And when I was a kid, I was an only kid for many years. Uh, and I, so I used to play games, you know, imaginary games with imaginary people and, people chasing you and you're doing this and you're doing that. And I was on my little tricycle and I just remember I I would, I would become different characters. And my grandmother in Australia uh, used to look after me quite a bit when my mom and dad were starting their teaching career and building a house and stuff. And um, I played a game with her where I, I sat her on the couch and she had a big old grandfather clock, you know, the kind that stand up, the great big one. And I used to go behind the clock and I said, every time I came out from behind the clock, grandma, I'm going to be a different person and you have to guess who I am. Oh my God. Yeah. And that's, that's... how I remember. I'm like, that's acting. That was acting. You know, I was, that was. I was either pretending to be my mother or some famous person that I'd seen on television or Annie Oakley, which I used to watch like crazy back then, you know, or whatever. And I'm thinking, yeah, like that's how it started. Um, And then my dad, when he used to read stories to me at nighttime, he would put on the characters' voices, you know, which is pretty something. He didn't just read it boring and dead. He he actually put on the voices. And then also... um, when I got to, we, we moved to Canada and I went into a public speaking contest when I was in grade eight and I won. I did a, I, I wrote a story, a speech about coming to Canada, my, my new home. And I won first prize or whatever. And I look back again, I go, okay, right. So that again, that's, you know, writing and performing and telling a story. And then in grade 10, I was cast uh, as Adelaide in Guys and Dolls, an old musical. And I was only 15 and people said, she belongs on the stage. Like she is a born actress. I had no lessons. I had no singing lessons. I had no acting lessons. I had nothing, but it just came out, you know? And that's when I went, I want to be an actor. And then I, I did. I mean, by the time I was 17, I had done two summer productions at the local professional theater called Neptune Theater in Halifax. Then I went off to Toronto to university and studied drama and political science because I was interested in politics too. Oh, spoilers. You use both degrees. Right. (laughs) 
And uh, and then I did an audition while I was up there for another musical theater called the Charlottetown Festival, where they do Anne of Green Gables, the musical, every year. And I understudied Anne that summer. But at the end of the summer, um, they do a concert every year. And if you felt like you were just playing small roles all summer and you didn't get a chance to really show what you could do, you could do a number. So I did a number from Funny Girl, the Barbara Streisand musical. Um, I did oh, a number yeah. from that uh, called The Cornet Man. But I did it <laughs> a la Marlena Dietrich. <laughs> so I did it with this Marlena a Dietrich accent with the with the golden curls like the wave finger waves and a trench coat with with uh, fishnet stockings and this very sexy little number underneath it which partway through the song I ripped off the trench coat and threw my leg over the chair and you know just went to town I you know it was it was yes, incredible. yes. right I was but I was I was 19 by then yeah and a guy happened to be in the audience that night. It's a, it's a 1,000, 2,000 seat theater. This guy happened to be in the audience, an author, composer, who had written a musical, a rock opera on the life of Marilyn Monroe. And he'd been searching for a year for the right actress to play Marilyn from the age of 16 as Norma Jean Baker to 36 when she dies of an overdose of pills and alcohol. Yeah. And... He turned to his wife after I did that song, and then both of them said to each other, "That's Marilyn." Yes, that was the beginning. That was that was the beginning. My career never stopped after that. So I have two follow-up questions. One: When you were doing the different characters for your grandmother coming from behind the clock, did you ever look to some of the stories? in your life that resonated with you in the same way that so many people resonate with the X-Men and the metaphors there? Was there, was there a particular character that you just always wanted to embody because they spoke to you on such a symbolic level? Not at that time. As, as I said, my, my favorite character at that time was Annie Oakley. There was a uh, TV series yeah. called Annie Oakley and she was always riding on horses and <laughs> shooting and she was doing stuff like the boys and was like as strong as them and you know everybody always looked at her like oh she'll never do it and she always did I loved that and that was kind of that was kind of my attitude <laughs> and being an Australian girl too where you know we have horses and we have a, a history with Bushmen and with the with like Ned Kelly and the these these highway robbers and these you know I mean and if you look into an Australian's past, I mean, I didn't even look into my heritage really until recently through Ancestry.com. And I've discovered that um, two of my great, great grandfathers on both sides of the families were highway robbers. <laughs> and they got sent from England at the age of 19 on convict ships to Australia and became, you know, decent men and married and had children and here, here I am, you know, <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. no, no, no. I have plenty of criminals in my family. So I, I, I'm from Florida. We're, we're not, we're not normal down there, but oh my God, that's incredible. Know, right. Like, okay. Well, I guess I come by my crazy wildness, honestly. <laughs> So what was it like leaving Australia and going to Canada at such a young age? I mean, that's that's rough. 
even if you're going from state to state or a different neighborhood, it's rough. And you went to an entirely different part of the world. Yeah, I was eight and we sailed over on a boat on a on a on a ship. Really? SS Canberra. Yeah. And on this ship, the SS Canberra, which is the name of the capital of Australia, uh, there were 2000 Australian teachers and we picked up teachers in New Zealand as well. Because Canada in that year had a shortage of teachers and the prime minister at the time, who is Pierre Elliott Trudeau, who is the current prime minister's father, he was the prime minister of of Canada at the time, he put out a call and said, look, we need teachers, Australian, New Zealand teachers, if you want to emigrate to Canada, we, we need you. And mom and dad, who were young and, you know, they had just built this house and stuff, but they thought... Wow, Canada sounds like a very interesting country, and he sounds like a very cool dude. I mean, he's doing little pirouettes behind the Queen, and he wore like a little rose in his lapel, and he, they just and 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 he was just very very progressive. So they said, "Well, let's let's go." And to to be honest, it was an adventure. It, it was an adventure. I mean, we got on this ship with two thousand Australian teachers. We stopped off in all these different islands between Australia and and Canada you know, Hawaii and New Zealand and the Tongan Islands. And we sailed to Vancouver. Then we, we sailed to Los Angeles and San Francisco. How long did this take? It took a month. Wow. And it was fantastic. So I kept meeting new people and seeing new things and, you know, and, and for a kid, that's amazing. Right. I mean, you get to see all this stuff. And plus, we always, I loved Disneyland and I always loved the Walt Disney shows. That was the show we always watched on Sunday nights in Australia uh, as a family show. So we went to Disneyland and, you know, and so it was like a dream come true. And to be honest, I got to see San Francisco in the summer of 1968. Oh my God. The flower children, Kate Ashbury. Ashbury, all of it. Oh my God. It was fantastic. And I remember saying to my mother, because in Australia, when you go to school, you have to wear a little uniform, or you did back then. Uh, the boys all had very short hair and we were all very proper, you know. And, and, you know, we came there and I said, Mom, Mommy, look, all the boys, the boys look like girls. They all have long hair. And, and my mother said, and I'll never forget this, she said, isn't it beautiful? Oh my God. What's mom's name? Her name is Jan. Jan. Oh my, Jan for the read of 68. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. But yeah. everything you're telling me about your parents, I mean, what adventurous, yeah. just forward moving people. What, 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 yeah. what an honor must have been to be part of that tribe. It is. And to be honest, like, so when we finally made it to, to Canada and we, we went to Regina, which is in Saskatchewan, which is in the Western provinces, the, the prairies, uh, very, very cold. We'd never seen snow. I'm um, sorry. You know, yeah, it was, it was. I had never seen snow until I moved to New York and really? I was terrified. I, Florida boy, I grew up in Miami. No snow. The yeah. coldest I ever got was 60 degrees. Right. That's yeah, so like Australia, too. <laughs> Well, you know, for for us, it was kind of cool because like, wow, every snowflake is different. And we'd be like, look at that one. Look at that. one." I mean, I got my tongue stuck to the car door one time because because why? Because why do kids stick their tongues out and want to lick icy 
pretty little uh why do you do that i don't freaking know but i stuck my tongue to the door i couldn't get it off screaming and crying and there's blood and my mother's going oh my god what do you do and then a polish neighbor told her oh just pour warm water on it i am terrified by this story but now i want to go stick my tongue out (laughs) the next time it's really cold and see if it can stick probably not maybe i don't i don't know how many other kids have done that but for some reason but anyway we um but it was an amazing adventure and then we decided to come to Nova Scotia, which was on the east coast of Canada, because it's got the ocean, the Atlantic Ocean and lobsters. And we just lobster. heard how beautiful yeah. it is. So we actually drove across Canada with a camper trailer mm-hmm. and we parked and we parked and uh, camped everywhere along across the Rocky Mountains and saw, you know, Banff and Jasper and all the glaciers and through Montreal and Quebec, where people speak French and we saw Niagara Falls, and then we made it to Nova Scotia. And mom and dad are still here. Their dad's 89, my mother's 84, and they lived and was taught here for years. And they taught people that it's okay to be different. And in fact, isn't it beautiful that we have Blacks and First Nations people? And one time a, a student at the teacher's college where my dad taught said, oh, well, you know, Mr. Zan, something, something, something. Well, you know, he's gay. And apparently they tell me my dad said, well, you might as well tell me he's left-handed or right-handed. I don't care. Oh, my God. Yeah. Right. What an amazing. And what's dad's name again? Paul. Oh, well, Paul I like that name quite yes. a bit. <laughs> Pablo. <laughs> Pablo. Oh yeah. my God, go Paul. Yeah. Oh my right. that God. That would have been in the early 70s. So, you know, so I, I believe I come from this, this, uh, from a very, from a, from an authentic place where I was taught we are all, we're all the same. Like we have our beautiful differences that makes us unique, but deep down we all want the same things. And isn't it beautiful, as my mother would say, right? Can I ask you a question? How does your family feel about your success, especially doing a character like Rogue and now being officially part of the Disney legacy? You know, I don't know. I mean, (laughs) the funny thing is, I mean, I did movies and television and theater for so long Mm -hmm. that they, you know, they got used, they used to get really excited to come and see me in plays and shows and I'd be on TV and they'd be like, oh my God, I'm always going to be on TV or I had a movie that would come to town and they'd be like, put my name up on the little cinema, the local cinema, like starring Lenore Zan. I might have like the sixth part in it or something. But so, so they're not really into animation per se. Mm. And they're just learning like a number of other people who aren't into it, that this is such a big show. Yeah. And, and as you might've been told by others who've been on your show that were in the X-Men or to do with the X-Men, when it became very, very popular, we weren't even really told by Fox. So like they would get bins of fan mail and it would go from the floor to the ceiling and down a couple of halls. And nobody ever told us. And we never got the fan mail. Like we never got it. We weren't able to respond to them. Nothing. Had no idea. That's so frustrating. You know, so I mean, so we're only finding out about it like the last (laughs) couple of years. (laughs) You're like that cartoon I did back in the 90s. It's a pretty big deal. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, oh. it's, it's it's odd, but 
we were like, I guess, I guess X-Men of that day were like the dark horse that they didn't think was going to win the race, but it yeah. came out of nowhere. And, you know, I mean, Larry Houston will say he tried to shop that idea around to all the studios at the time. And nobody thought a show about superheroes could be successful. No. And Larry had done Pride of the X-Men before. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of like a one-off pilot and it didn't do as well. And then when the Lee Waltz started bringing up this idea with the X-Men, they even had to fight Stan Lee for, for how they wanted it because Stan Lee wanted to do the Walt, you know, Disney approach, which is, I was going to say Walt Whitman, the Walt Disney (laughs) approach, which is, he would open up every episode like narrating or sitting like with a book or no sake. And, you know, it was a long road to, to get where you guys were at, but when you guys got to it, Oh my God. Yeah. And so, you know, so, so to be honest, I think it's interesting because I, I, I went on a plane recently uh, for the first time in two years since the pandemic. And I went down the aisle and I was just looking, just glancing to see what people were watching on their television sets or on their their devices. I would say nine out of 10 of them were watching superhero stuff. Yeah, this you know? is absolutely. No, I, I've i been flying again since the, since the pandemic for work, thankfully. And it's so funny you said that because I was just going down the aisle this, this morning on my flight and someone was watching Black Panther. Another right. person was watching Captain Marvel. And- right. Everyone Black has Widow. a yeah what Black Widow yeah Black Widow everyone has a a Marvel shirt now that's yeah. so com- before people would stop you be like oh look where did you get that shirt now it's everywhere and, and the, and the now your face is, is everywhere I where's Rogue Rogue is somewhere here there she is now oh, you get everywhere yeah and like the poor kids that used to be into it were considered like geeks or nerds or something in the beginning yeah and now like oh my god you know right well, yeah no i mean it was i i'll give credit that in the age i came to the x-men it was cool because you had oh, the trading yeah. cards and the figures but uh-huh. once you hit middle school oh my god yes exactly that you were considered a geek everyone was like oh you read comic books and all this stuff and and now you're like the cool person at like the dinner table explaining <laughs> you know who's rogue and how many times has Jean Grey died, but. Oh my God. I tried to explain it to my mother the other night. Cause my, my dad said, you know, we were saying, he said, so you, so you're, you're doing this, you know, this show and it's really big and it's Disney. And so he said, so we like, we've never really seen it. So, so what is your character? <laughs> and I started trying to explain. I said, well, you know, she's the strongest woman in the universe. Yeah. And I can see my mother's eyes kind of going, you know, and I'm like, no, like she actually really is the strongest woman in the universe. She, she's, <laughs> she, she's the strongest woman in the universe. She can absorb your powers and your memories. And she was raised by a shape-shifting assassin. I said, and I said, just like you and me, mom. Kidding, <laughs> 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 kidding. <laughs> but, you know, like I could see my mother wasn't getting it. She yeah. wasn't getting it. You're like, you know, it's, it's not their, their generation. Yeah. No, I talked to my parents about it. Cause you know, they know I do a podcast and they, <laughs> they occasionally ask me about it and I try <laughs> to tell them things, but they, I got my dad to watch WandaVision with me last night. Oh yeah. And <laughs> so son, 
isn't that supposed to be Magneto's daughter? But why is she in the 50s here? Because WandaVision does all the sitcom yeah. stuff. Right. And he's here like, I thought she was an Avenger. Oh, my God. Lenore, explaining no, the history. Some of the, the names. I mean, you know. At and least he, you didn't have to explain Tigra. Oh, my God. story. How do you explain Tigra? <laughs> you know, it, it just keeps going on and on. <laughs> <laughs> It's like the rabbit hole that doesn't end, you know, like Alice in Wonderland down under. Um, she's a, that's a oh, there Look she is. who I have here. I love it. I love it. I used to have one of those. She's mm, mm. I don't know where my tiger toy went. I don't know. I lost her somewhere along the way. In one of my <laughs> You mean spiritually or physically? <laughs> Physically, no, <laughs> never lose any of my characters spiritually. <sighs> They're all inside. Yes, queen. Sorry, I'm gonna gush this entire time. Um, hey, Hawkeye, I wanted a real man. <laughs> <laughs> Tell that to Jeremy Renner. <laughs> I so so. Let me ask how yeah. how did the role of rogue come to you like when did your agent call you up and was like hey they want you for this little show called x-men and did you audition for rogue did you audition for gene or anyone else so basically um i had been in new york doing a play called unidentified human remains and the true nature of love uh, and I've been doing it in Chicago for a year. And then we took it off Broadway in New York to the Orpheum Theater, which is where Stomp has been playing like ever since. Yes. So I don't know if it's still on, but it's been on for years. But in that theater, in the Orpheum, I did my first American play, um, Unidentified Human Remains and the True Nature of Love. So I did that for about a year there. And then I went back to Toronto uh, and I had some auditions for some films and I was mainly just into film, TV and, and theater at the time. And my agent, my voice agent said, Hey, Lenore, uh, there's an audition for this new animated series. It has no name. The series had no name at that time. They weren't telling the name. It's just, she said, it's like a, like an X project, like, like X, but meaning like it's secret or something. Yeah. So I was like, okay. And, and she's told me what the character was. I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then I never, and I never bothered to go and audition. I was too busy doing other stuff. I wasn't yeah. that interested in cartoons. I, I you know, it yeah. wasn't part of my life at that time. So a couple of months went by, maybe two or three even months went by. And then she called me up and said, Lenore, they're having callbacks for this series I told you about, and they haven't found the right character, the right voice for this one character yet. And that's because it's you. <laughs> you know, like, they want a sexy, deep, husky, southern voice. And that's the kind of characters I was playing on movies and television at the time. Mm -hmm. I was playing southerners and South Californians. I was playing a lot of Americans. And um, so I said, okay, okay, I'll, I'll go. So I went and I looked at the character and it was 
you know, like that, like that. I could, I could see it, the, the drawing over. I went, oh, she's sassy. I like her attitude. You yes. Know? And then I just had a several, like about a paragraph of dialogue. In fact, including the stuff that I started off your show with. Um, yeah, like some of the stuff about having the boyfriend when she was 13 and all that. And um, you know, my, and my dad had liked to kill himself when he found out I was a mutant. You know, like that kind of stuff, right? The magic that comes out of your mouth when you <laughs> do her voice. And I'm sorry, I, it leaves me speechless. But yes, that's... Thank so you. you were just given like a little paragraph yeah. and... And I did it. They loved it. Oh, my God. They went crazy. Like, I had the headsets on, and I could hear the producers in L.A. I was in Toronto, and they were in L.A., and they just started screaming. And they were like, oh, my God, where would she come from? Oh, my God, don't let her leave. Don't let her leave. That's the one. That's the one. Give this woman a contract right now. Yeah, like, they were like, I just suddenly showed up out of nowhere, and they're like, that's what we've been waiting for. And that's how it, that's exactly how it happened. And what what part of the process did you first meet Eric and and Larry and Julia and everyone? We didn't. We what? didn't. Mm-mm. I never met them until recently when I went to a Comic Con in the states. I, I'm I'm sorry. When you say recently, as in like like two two years ago. Really? Yeah. yeah. That's mind blowing to me. I know. Yeah, yeah. It was that normal to keep the voice acting cast separate from production? Well, I mean, the thing is, they had a director, a voice director Mm -hmm. in Toronto who directed us. And some of the um, producer types came in, uh, but they weren't Larry. They were a couple of other ones that were with Saban because it was Saban Entertainment at the time and and fox so like sid i uh in california he's from la gotcha. he came in and a couple of others and we had this director the voice director and then they would be listening to our takes and stuff on the headphones in la and then you know they would send off the takes and then i the, so we never met them interesting what yeah, about a- anyone from marvel did you ever meet stan lee no, unfortunately, I would have loved to. Oh my never god! Met, never he, met. He would have been. I don't know him at all, but you know, I can't imagine you. You're the voice of Rogue. He wouldn't be like, oh my god. I would have loved to meet him, but I, you know, no, we never met any of them. So it was really just the gang of us, like the main X Men. Uh, we would usually come in, seven of us, do a table read. And then go in the studio all together like a radio drama. And we would be able to play off each other, see what each other, hear each other, um, joke around in between takes. Uh, I mean, we had a blast. The the chemistry was so good in the cast. And then we go off outside to the little bar that was on the street outside and and drink. (laughs) And and talk and laugh and carry on. So did you guys, were you in the recording booth together when you were recording? So you, okay. Cause I heard that was uncommon to have voice actors together, but it would make sense because you guys were so close. Yeah, it, it was. Un- but, but for those, for Canadian actors to tell you the truth at that time, we were doing a lot of radio dramas. Yeah. So CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, 
did a lot of radio dramas, which is how I ended up winning my award which for Saltwater Moon. Saltwater Moon. She's a, called a Nelly, and I won it in 1986 for my voice performance of Saltwater Moon, Mary Snow, uh, in 1986, Best Actress Across Canada for Radio Drama, my first radio drama. And that was, you know, I was, I was 26. And then uh, I didn't do Human, uh, then I, after Human Remains came back, 91, 92. I was about 32 when I did Rogue. And so you... I, I have here in my notes that you did the Tooth Fairy, uh, Where Are You? And you were yeah. the Tooth Fairy Apprentice. Was it because yeah. of winning the, the Nelly that you <laughs> kind of came on the map and doing all these radio dramas? Or did you just happen to take a job? I am not sure how I got that one. I know that one was in Ottawa. And um, I think, I don't know how it happened, to be honest. It, it was a really cute one and I, I really enjoyed doing it, but it was kind of like a one-off. Because I don't think I did a whole bunch more. No, than- I think it was just one. But it was the first um, voice over for animation that I could find that yeah. you had done. Yeah, and, it really is. Yeah. But, and I, it, I, I, but I didn't do much after that. I wasn't like searching for it. I wasn't I looking gotcha. for it. You know, some actors just do voice and they have an agent and they just want to do voice. I wanted to do everything. And, of course and the voicing was just something, but it wasn't it wasn't like my be all and end all of existence. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you got rogue. <laughs> you're, you're, you're recording that first. Do you remember who you first met when you started production on X-Men? Yeah. Well, I mean, there was obviously um, Wolverine. So Cal Dodd. Oh, how and is Cal? How he is got, it? Mute? He, he's, he's funny. He's hilarious. <laughs> and, uh, and he was a star. Uh, in Canada, he had had TV series and I had seen him when I was 12 at the Charlottetown Festival, that place that I ended up understudying Anne and Anna Green Gables and then being discovered to play Marilyn. I had seen him when I was 12 and my family and I traveled over to Prince Edward Island from Nova Scotia because it's near Nova Scotia. And we watched him in the rock opera about Hamlet. And he played Hamlet. It was called Kronborg 1592 or something. And also he then went on to Broadway and they did it for a little while. It was called Rockabye Hamlet. The same guy who wrote that, Cliff Jones, is the one who wrote the rock opera about Marilyn Monroe. Oh, so when I saw that, I wanted, to, I, I knew I was 12. I knew I want to be, I want to do that. I want to be up on stage and I want to do that. So by then when I was 15 and I had a chance to audition for the school musical Guys and Dolls, I was like, yeah, that's, I want to audition, right? I want to do that. I want to be up on stage and sing and act, even though I'd never done it and had no experience. Even my parents said, you know, um, maybe you shouldn't audition. You know, we don't want you to be disappointed because the bigger girls will get the parts. And there's lots of kids who've had training and, you know, voice training and acting classes and this and that. I was like, well, so, I mean, I have just as much chance as anybody else. I <laughs> love that tenacity. Right. That is why you just went in and did a slam dunk as a rogue. I mean, right. <laughs> right. do you remember when you met Chris Potter? Yes, I do. And Chris had a TV series at the time. Mm-hmm. He was in Kung Fu, The Legend Continues. Yeah. 
Oh, okay. I remember. I know. So he's um, so he came in and he was a little bit shy because he hadn't done any animation before. And so he's a little bit shy. Plus, he had to put on that uh, that accent. The uh, the the uh, gambit had a you know a, a patois kind of <laughs> accent, and he was always terrified that they were going to turf him for, for not having the right accent or something because they did actually recast Storm a few times. Yeah, yeah. So that one day we'd come in, and there would be one woman there and then she was like gone the next time so we were like oh jesus who's next right so the pressure was on but you guys were such a talented group of individuals and i think the leewalds talk about this in the book that it was really important that they casted very talented actors people yeah. were doing stage in your case radio dramas and film and that comes through and you know chris's approach to gambit your approach to rogue catherine's approach to gene gene is like my top favorite x-man yeah you guys just nailed it i mean that was lightning in a bottle and it it breaks my heart that you had like rooms full of mail and and i'm pretty sure one of them was probably from me kids who would have loved to hear back from us and 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 you were just that character. I'm so sorry that happened to you. You guys were like rock stars. In it. You guys were like the Beatles in the comic book community. <laughs> and, and no, one, no one's telling you. I'm I know, so sorry. I, know. I, I just feel bad for the fans, too, that they just never got to hear from their, you know, they never got to hear from us. So hopefully that won't happen this time. Oh, no, no, no. So. <laughs> So as the seasons were progressing, were you ever given like at the beginning of like a season, you're like, okay, this is going to be Rogue's story or did you just get the script and. Yeah, we got the scripts basically, um, you know, a week before we went in. So we never really would find out where the story was going until we got the script for each, each one. So when I got, for instance, the script for A Rogue's Tale, oh my God. I was really happy because it was like, oh, good. Okay, so this is my story. This one's my backstory. Yeah. And it oh was great. God. Yeah. Well, and, and let's remember, there was no internet at the time. There was no Wikipedia. There was no, you know, like, so unless you were a comic book uh, fanatic, you know, you might not know all that stuff, which we didn't. We really didn't know all that stuff about our characters. We found out as we went along. I was, I was talking to a writer called Zeb Wells, who's writing some of the X-Men titles now. And he was saying that back in the day, you did not have something called Wikipedia. And right. you had to go to the comic book store and you had to pray that they were going to have the issue you wanted. And oftentimes they did not. So you would have to get a back issue or the next issue in a crossover and skip over a chapter. And then you would have to go out and be your own little archaeologist and mine this data. And that's yes. why it becomes so precious. So, right. so for instance, in A Rogue's Tale, I had known that Rogue had a complicated history with Carol Danvers mm-hmm. only because I had a little card of them fighting. And in the back, Rogue, oh. her super strength from absorbing, you know, Ms. Marvel. And then seeing you play yes. it out on, on the X-Men animated series, I'm like, that, that there's a story right there. You right. know what I mean? So you guys and, were also delivering and- and that's when I got my ability to fly. 
Yes. Uh, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Ability to fly super strength. It was such, I, I, that is one of my favorite episodes. And I think I even missed it on the initial run. Yeah, it was, it's my favorite one. Anytime anyone asks me, what's your favorite episode? Clearly it's that one. I mean, also the idea that she, she was kicked out of her home by parents who really didn't understand her. I mean, that that's, the opposite of me. I have a loving family and whatever. However, I did go in search of myself for many, many years. And I traveled around the world and like really looking to find out like, who am I and why am I the way I am anyway, which I'm sure most young people feel um, whether they get the opportunity to go searching for themselves or just have to go straight into a job or whatever. It's different for each person. But with me, being an actor and doing some acting and then taking some time to go travel uh, and try and figure out who I am and what's the world all about and what are all these different government systems in all these different countries and what works best and what's good for the people. And I really cared. I had a very um, compassionate attitude towards wanting to improve the world and make it a better place for everybody. And so I could relate to her wandering, to, to, to rogues wandering, trying to find herself and feeling lost and lonely and alone until Professor X calls out to her and says, hey, mutant, you wow, know, you're yeah. lonely. We, we have a place where you can come. And where I'm getting goosebumps remembering that scene because that's when she goes, she says, I, I, oh my God, I would try to do your, your impersonation here, but she's like, and then I had to leave the second place I called home and she's yes. flying and That's it's like true. young mutant, young mutant. And she yeah. flies to him and, and, and she's so concerned. The first thing she says, cause Xavier's like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to be able to help you. I'm going to quiet the voice in your head. And the first right. thing she says is, but what's going to happen to Miss Marvel? Right. I mean, that tells you everything you need to know about the character and how selfless yeah, she is. That's true. And that how is- you played her and how you played her like with that. That's why the yeah. performance is so, that's why that is why me, my, myself and so many other countless readers still hear your voice when we're reading the comic books till <laughs> this day. And the character has had quite the journey since the nineties. I mean, her and Gambit are married now, but right. we, your your voice and it's mm-hmm. because you played it with so much heart spirit and you just understood it on a level that we didn't even understand it you know so if you think about this that same person that's impersonating that's playing rogue also played marilyn monroe from the age of 16 to 36 okay and i did that when i was 19 how was it playing Marilyn Monroe, though? Incredible. Tell me. Incredible. Tell I me mean, everything. she's also, she and Rogue are my two favorite characters. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And I played Marilyn several times. I was asked to do her twice more in other plays. And then in the end, I wrote a play about her in her later years towards the end of her life. And that's, I took it to New York and I did it off Broadway. And uh, that was kind of a dream come true for me. But so. Um, Congratulations Marilyn, on that. What, yes, what that year was, did it air? Or I'm sorry, what year did, did the play? I was, there, I was doing that one in 2004, 2005. I am so, I was in New York in 2005. I would have loved, and I was, I was going through the theater scene 
at the time. Yeah. I mean, not, not as a thespian or anything, but just, you know, being a a gay man in New York going to theater, you know, cliche, but I'm so sorry I missed that. I would have loved to have seen that. Yeah, it was, it was really a good, and I got a good review in the New York times and I booked law and order, a guest star and got to work with Sam Waterston and um, Jerry Orbach, who were two of my favorite actors Jerry, because he'd done all those musicals way back when. And when I was a kid living in Truro, Nova Scotia, doing like musicals and going out and doing community theater and playing leads in all these different shows, like like the um, the Fantastics and Carousel and um, Oklahoma and all these different shows. I mean, Guys and Dolls. He was the voice I would hear on the record, the record that I'd be playing to learn the songs and whatever. So... I mean, he he was a star for me. I, I idolized him. And then I got to work with him in Law and Order. And in between our scenes in New York, it was freezing cold, February weather. And uh, he would say, come and sit in the limousine because he had they had a nice heated limousine for him. And he's like, don't, don't go to the, the they're kind of dirty. They're like a little bit shabby, the little, the little honey wagon things. He said, just come and you, you come and sit in the car. So I was like, OK, so then so then he wanted to know what I was doing. Also, also in New York, I told him I'm doing this musical that I'd written about Marilyn. And he said, oh, so you sing? I'm like, yes. In fact, I used to listen to you all the time when I was a kid. That's how I learned the songs or the different shows. So then we started singing tunes to each other. We would do like duets from from uh, like Try to Remember and all these different songs from the Fantastics. And he knew all the words. I knew all the words. We knew the harmonies. I mean, it was a dream come true for a young actor who's now, you know, older and gets to meet the person that that helped inspire her. And then I went to watch him um, in, in uh, a Broadway cares concert at Lincoln center a few weeks after that. And then it was shortly after that he died of, uh, he had that uh, blood cancer. He had uh, leukemia, which he'd been kind of keeping to himself for some time. Uh And so it was really a very nostalgic and important time for me but once I'd done my play and I did it and I did Law and Order and I got the review in the New York Times, I was like, I'm ready to go home. I wanted to come, come back home to Nova Scotia. And that's that's when I kind of decided to move home to Nova Scotia, to Truro and be close with my family because my parents were getting older and my sister's kids were just little. And I didn't want to be like one of those aunties that is a picture on the refrigerator and you see them at Christmas once a year, you know. I wanted to be a hands-on auntie, so not having children of my own, you know. <laughs> so is that when you started getting into politics? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had been home maybe about a year and a half, and uh, a political party here con- contacted me and said, "Listen, we've been watching you. You know, you're 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 a celebrity. You're you're the the girl that went away, made good, and came back, and you're doing stuff for kids. And um, would have you ever thought about running for politics? And I said, well, I'd thought about it, but you know that I'd become an actor instead. And they said, well, we think you'd be really good. So would you would you run for us in the next election? So I thought, well, I've got nothing to lose. No. So I ran and. Interestingly enough, one of the other opposition parties that was running against me decided that they were going to be really smart. And they they sent a picture of me from the L word, 
which I had been a guest star on. Mm-hmm. They sent a picture of me from a scene in the L Word where I was in a shower in mm-hmm. a prison. <laughs> so I was topless in this shower. And they sent it to the CBC again, the six o'clock news as a story like, oh, how can this woman who's done, you know, nude scenes and whatever, how could she be running for politics, blah, 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 blah. Well, it backfired on them and people came out of the woodworks to go, are you kidding? Like this is whatever year was 2009. She's an actress. That's her job. Like who yeah. cares? Right? Relax there. Like, <laughs> my goodness. So but- I, you know, so I won in a landslide. <laughs> <laughs> Damn right you did. In true rogue slash Maryland style. Yeah. And then I won three more elections after that. Okay, but so you are you are an (laughs) actress and now you're 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 running for politics. I mean, that must have been a jarring transition. Or were or were you as cool as you are talking about it now? (laughs) I I, I took it in my stride like I do most things, you know. I'm kind of just like I am who I am and people will either like it or they don't. Uh, I tell it like it is. I don't, mm-hmm. I'm unscripted. I don't just gobble. I don't just regurgitate political jargon. Like people can see through that. They don't want that. They want to hear the truth. And so that's what I gave people. And I did it for 12 years, yeah. uh, 10 years in my province or state, and then two years federally with the mm-hmm. prime minister, Justin Trudeau, the son of the man who brought us over to Canada in the first place. Who looks adorable <laughs> when he topples over in a canoe, <laughs> like the most adorable <laughs> thing ever. <laughs> he's a really, really kind, compassionate man. I love him. And he's very progressive. Yeah. And very yeah. much into the environment and diversity and women, you know, and gender equality, um, trying to do the right thing with indigenous issues. I, I, I just, I love the man and um, he's been very kind to me. And the last couple of years have been very difficult because of COVID-19, uh, trying to save people's lives and jobs and keep food on the table for them and also make sure businesses don't go under. Uh, and then five months after I'd been uh, elected federally um we got sent home because of the pandemic and then a month later here in my community we had a terrible mass shooting incident i'm so and it sorry was, to hear that yeah it was awful it was like the it was the largest mass shooting in canada's history no. 22 22 innocent people were murdered and uh and i'm the member of parliament so yeah. it's, it, it's been just hell really i'm um, so sorry Thank you. Yeah, it's been awful for the, the people, for the community. It's just jarring. And, you know, we see stuff on television when we see these things happening in the States and we think, oh, man, how, how, how do they keep doing it? How, do you, how does it keep happening? And, yeah. and then here we are in this very small little community, like rural area, and a crazed man, angry man with a gun went out and killed all these innocent people. So we're we're still reeling from that. Uh, and then my beautiful little 17-year-old niece, who was a gymnast, got, uh, she got diagnosed with uh, terminal cancer a year ago. And she was given a, basically a month to live till, till Christmas. But she managed to live on and fight on and battle on and show everybody her 
true bravery. She's a real little superhero until June, and then she passed. And so it's been a really tough time. I'm so sorry. I, oh, God, I'm crying out. Sorry. No, like, it's just been so hard, and I love her so much. So it's, you know, and then I lost the election. Then there was another election right after it, and I lost. So I was like, oh, my God. I'd be like, what, you know, I'm just, what's life all about, you know? And then uh, two days after that, I got an email from a film producer saying, hey, Lenore, I'm so sorry you lost the election. You're such a great um, uh, champion for the arts. We, you know, we're really going to miss you. But does this mean you could now do my movie? Lenore, <laughs> 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 you have me crying and laughing at the same time here. <laughs> That's pretty good. So I'm available to do the movie. Okay, so I asked to read the script. They sent it to me. I loved it. Said, yep, I'm in. And then I got an email from someone who had invited me to one of these um, Comic Cons in the beginning a couple of years ago. He's like, Lenore, listen, I have a friend. I know someone. She's going to casting something. And it looks like they're interested in possibly like the X-Men coming back. Would you be interested? I'm like, hell yes and so, yeah are you kidding so then uh he put me on to her we we ended up emailing back and forth and then she called me and i was sitting on my back deck here and uh we were chatting and uh this beautiful little red cardinal bird we have these little cardinals here i don't know if you got them in new york or not but they're bright red crimson and they say when a when a cardinal draws near, an angel is here. So oftentimes, when you've lost a family member recently, and cardinals show up, people say, "Oh, they're sending a message from your loved one." And this little red cardinal showed up. She came swooping out of the blue and landed on this little red tiled table that my niece had put together for me before she died, and it landed right on the red table and it was like looking at me as if it was trying to tell me something. And I'm here talking to this this casting person in Los Angeles going, oh, my God, a cardinal. And she's like, what? I'm like, oh, well, you know, and then I had to explain my niece just died and I'm broken heart. I'm grieving. But here at this little cardinal, and she's like, oh, well, maybe the cardinal's sending you a good omen. I said, yes, I'm, I hope so. <laughs> and that's how it all started. And then next thing you know, they said, OK, put put a few um, put a couple of these scenes down on tape, send it to us which I did. Uh, and then they said, okay, a few weeks later, well, the producers want to meet with you, Zoom. So I met with Bo and Charlie and, uh, and the casting director who's now going to be directing as well. And so the three of us had a great chat about the show, um, what the X-Men mean to me and to them. And they're like, okay, this is great. You know, we'll be in touch. And then and then I got the word, you know, you got that, the word officially. Now, yeah. were, were you just so in the dark with this? Did you know some of the other cast may have been coming back as well? Yeah, I knew I knew that some of my colleagues had been contacted as well, okay. but they didn't really want any of us talking about it. And so I yeah. couldn't really say anything about it. And um but I just knew that we were we were all being considered. And um, I also then found out that some would be playing other roles, not the original roles. Yeah. And 
but but they said no but we want you to play we want you to reprise role i i mean listen you don't get lenore zen on your (laughs) x-men cartoon sequel and not have her play rogue i'm sorry the internet that would have been dead on arrival and everyone (laughs) wants it back but if you're if they're like oh no lenore zan is gonna play you know insert character here no (laughs) no 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 she is just rogue 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 oh god yeah so so, yeah so that's how it all kind of came about did you know the announcement was going to happen last month? Uh, no, we weren't sure when they were going to do it. Um, but we found out maybe a few a few days in advance or something mm-hmm. like that. I, I mean, we knew a few weeks ahead of time that we had our the roles that we were going to be playing. But we didn't know exactly when they were going to drop the news. And plus, um, well, the other thing was we were negotiating contracts. And you negotiated your own contract. I did. I did. Of course you did. (laughs) Of course you did. (laughs) I was between agents because, of course, I dropped out of the industry for 12 years to be, you know, an elected official. So um, I didn't have an agent, you know. And so I... um, I thought, well, I, I've I've written bills. I've introduced bills <laughs> in legislatures in Parliament. I, I, I've been on committees where you study all the bills and you make changes and amendments and you look at all the little loopholes and you go, oh, oh well, wait a minute, what about that? You know. So I was like, no, I, I, I can I can handle this. Plus, it gave me something to do when I was still grieving my niece and and really grieving also like the loss of my my political job which yeah. i loved and i really wanted to get back at but you know everything happens for a reason as they say and so it just opened everything up for me that i could focus on doing this mm-hmm. and getting back into acting i have a new agent now i'm right i yeah. know we, we've been looped in on the email shout out to your agent Yes, and uh, so Byron Burton is helping me with all the on the uh, in person meetings, and uh, the comic cons. But also, my agent in Toronto is um, they're called Noble Abrams Kaplan, mm-hmm. and they uh, they do movies and television and uh, all that kind of stuff. So they've already now got me auditioning for, for other movies. And I'm TV so series. excited! Oh my. God. Did you see Stage Mother yet? I haven't seen Stage Mother yet. You should see Stage Mother. You would love it. I am Jackie yeah. Weaver. Do you know Jackie Weaver? Um, yeah, actually, wait, let me let me do a quick Google of her. I know the name. Yellowstone right now. Oh, yes, yes, I do know her. Silver yes. Lining Silver linings right there. Yep. Yep. So I play her younger sister in this movie about this little town in Texas. And these two women and, and the older one's husband. And you find out that the their son was an incredible performer who she was encouraging to be a performer. And then he came out to his parents and the father just dropped him. Didn't want to have anything to do with him. Oh. So he went to San Francisco mm-hmm. and became a huge drag queen and a very popular one. But he dies early on and she has to go to San Francisco and she finds out that he has left her a drag bar. Oh, my God. That's incredible. <laughs> it's incredible. It's so funny and it's sad. And it's poignant, but it's beautiful. It's oh. all about family and belonging, just like like the X-Men. 
And also how I would describe you as well right now, just so, just such a strong spirit. And there's so much emotion here today for us. Well, you know, that's the thing. And and I think the job of an actor too, Mm -hmm. is to hold the mirror up to society and let them see themselves and also touch those emotions so that people can know it's okay to feel my feelings and to let my feelings yeah. out. And, and to express those. Absolutely. Yes. So right. people who don't want to express their emotions or keep things bottled up, that's not, that's not healthy for anyone. And exactly. I, I, um, it's funny. I, I suffer from body dysmorphia. I male anorexia. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's something my dad also has. Mm-hmm. And I wrote about it mm-hmm. and my, my literary agent was like, I don't think you understand how brave you were to write something like this. And I told him I, I wasn't trying to be brave. I just needed to express this. I needed, I needed to write about it because I was reading all these mm-hmm. articles about like how anorexia is only a little girl's disease. You know, mm-hmm. men are supposed to be strong. I come, so I'm Cuban American mm-hmm. and the machismo growing up with that. I just felt like I, I needed to express that in a very healthy way. And I have been able to move. I, I don't want to say cure at, by any means, mm-hmm. but I've been able to move on to the next part of my healing process by writing something like that. So I agree with you expressing yourself so important yes so did you publish that yeah i did i i've so i've published several uh essays on it um with zoe deschanel with uh the huffington post and um and now my agent and i we've been shopping around my book so excellent that's so good because you know i've been reading so many young boys well young girls and young boys have anorexia and they they see all those you know they want to be skinny skinny i had it for a while there in my 20s in my early 20s i had it as well thinking that you just have to be skinny 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 and i mean and i'd played marilyn monroe and was like voluptuous right and i was like oh no well you need need no bum no bum and no breasts and no hips or anything i've got to be skinny 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 and so i just starved myself for oh my gosh i am so sorry i it's ridiculous right that we we, but but we buy into that that advertising gimmick that that we're told that you have to be like this to be accepted, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it's and sad. it's sad. And if you don't look a certain way, there it's somehow unworthy of you. My my best friend is a fit model, and my anorexia comes in waves, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's some years I'm really good, some years I'm really bad. But you know, when I was really bad, um, like maybe a year and a half, two years ago, right before the pandemic, my best friend looked at me. She goes, do you know what the difference between a size small and a size medium is? That much fabric, which is like just half an inch of fabric. That is it. You're being sold on an idea and she's a fit model. So she goes in and they size her for these things. She goes, that's it. You know what I mean? They're trying to sell an image here. You need to be comfortable with yourself. And, And that sort of confidence within your own skin is is what makes you attractive it's what makes you own the room when you walk in. it's not how little you wear anything like that so. exactly to be honest my my final play about Marilyn that I wrote mm-hmm. also was about that about the fact that here's Marilyn Monroe mm-hmm. who by all everybody thought was a goddess was gorgeous beautiful mm-hmm. everything and she hated herself yeah. and she, she tried to fill that void inside with 
you know, men, booze, pills, outside of things, trying to always play to other people to please other people, people pleasing, instead of just filling it with your own self-love and acceptance and realizing it's okay to be who I am inside of this, this skin, right? And so it was a message as well to young girls and young people that, you know, it doesn't matter your shape or size. No, it doesn't. Be healthy. Oh, I love that. I want to, I would love to, if you still have copies of, of, of the play, the script, I would love to read it. Yeah. I have copies of the play. I also have a, I think I have a DVD of the performance I did at, uh, at the, uh, in New York. I did it at Don't Tell Mamas one time, and then I moved <laughs> off Broadway. I think I have a copy of the Don't well, Tell Mamas one. Girl, you know I will regram that if you <laughs> send it to me. You guys at home, uh, Lenore sent me a, a a clip of her talking about coming back for X Men ninety seven for the local news, and I was like, I am putting this up right now. Do not worry. Right, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, exactly. And everyone's DMing me. They're like, Oh my god, are you talking to Lenore? <laughs> How did you get that? I was like, mm, I don't know. Secrets. <laughs> Secrets. <laughs> well, I know I noticed you on Instagram. I just loved what you post. I was very oh. interested. Yeah, it was great. We we love you. I, and and I am a fan of the X-Men in large part because of your talent, because of the kind of soul and person you are. And now I I, I am crying during an interview because you were mm-hmm. just so deeply insightful and and wonderful and thank you, thank you. well i'm firing for some young people who might be feeling a little bit lonely and lost and that they don't fit in because um i've been there and many of us have and you know we don't have all the answers but i do know that it gets better oh, it gets better so you well know? said you have to believe in yourself and don't give up because we need you. Oh God, that's right, folks at home. We need you. Thank you so much for you know hanging in there. Life is tough. You know what? Yeah. Just think, think of Rogue <laughs> in your head, saying, yeah. "Sugar, got to do it." <laughs> Lenore, quick, some quick follow up questions sure. here. So X Men, you know, ends, and then you go to Avengers and you play Tigra. How was it like? jumping from one character like that to another it was fun some of the same people were there some of the same Mm -hmm. cast were there and some of the same producers were there so i was sorry it only lasted for one season that one only lasted a season but tiger was a fun character i mean it's interesting you know i i I ended up years later also doing um outlaw star Mm -hmm. play this character called um Aisha Clan Clan. And she is crazy. And she she screams a lot and she's sexy, but she when she gets mad or if she eats a lot, she turns into this huge cat tiger type character. Yes. <laughs> like you don't want to mess with her. And uh, so I'm like, okay, so I got this thing with the cat ladies. <laughs> you know, these tiger cat, these women that turn into these yes. cats when they're angry or whatever. Um, so it seems to be a theme that's following me. But yeah, th- it was a fun character to have too. 
And so you 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 did Tigra, and then you also did Magic Knight Ray Earth, which <laughs> is one of my favorite animes of all time. And you played Caldina, who was one of the villains towards the end. And she comes back in season two, but yeah. it I have to tell you when I when I saw the name Zan, that's how you were credited as yes. Zan. That's how I said it. I was like, I think that's Rogue's voice actress. Oh, and I figured it out. I figured it out because you <laughs> sounded, it just, your voice just spoke to me and she had pink hair and she was sassy. And I mean, literally I'm a sophomore in high school with like blonde streaks, trying to look like Mark McGrath going, yes. Yes. Oh, cool. Very cool. Very cool. No, I love doing that. I And what else? I did the uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, too. Yeah, I played Chikara on that, who's a, like a sorceress warrior princess who te- comes to teach them uh, special skills. That was a really interesting one. A lot of that stuff I did either in New York or L.A. Yeah. Like, I hadn't done anime really in... Canada and I was just getting started doing stuff in the States. So I, I just went under the name Zan. I from, love it. Yeah. No, that was iconic. <laughs> and and now with X-Men 97, you're recording in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. You're able to just record um, and then send it over to wherever production's being handled. Yeah. Yeah. I'm at, I'm starting off. I'm doing it in Halifax in a little mm. studio called Hi- the hideout which I kind of like that. I like that, the hideout, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Kind of the way I feel <laughs> right now. <you> know? so, <laughs> and and uh, also the, the, the guy who owns that studio, we've worked together on other stuff. There's a show I'm in called Animal Mechanicals, which is on Netflix right now and for younger children. And I play uh, Island Owl, which is this little owl that pops out of an egg at the beginning of every show. And she sends all these little animals on their missions. You know, we're on a very big mission today. <laughs> oh, so she's it's really cute for young kids. And so he and I had worked on that. And he does uh, he does a show called um, he, he works on a show called This Hour Has 22 Minutes, which is a, a comedy show here in Canada, been running for a long time. And also he, uh, he, they do, they do the trailer park boys, which is a comedy series too, that is really popular all around the world. And they do, they do their shows in there as well. I love that. So my last X-Men 97 related question is going to be, what did, did you text Chris once everything was official and you're like, Rogue and Gambit are back. (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, let's put it this way. I I agreed my very first thing I agreed to do other after politics after politics after losing the election here back on, in September was I was asked to come to Ontario, Windsor, Ontario to do a um like a Comic-Con to raise money for kids that were living with disabilities. And since my niece had had the cancer and had to have her leg amputated in the beginning, it was osteosarcoma, you know, in the bones. She had to have her leg amputated. And I just saw how brave she was, you know, hopping up and down the stairs. And um, the family, we all chipped in and bought her a car that she could drive with her left leg. And she just, it gave her seven months of, you know, joy, like with her friends driving around and let her, 
you know, have some mobility. So I said, yes, let me, let me, let me come up and do that. And so Chris happened to be in Toronto. So we ended up doing it together. So we got to see each other uh, and hang out and uh, we couldn't tell each other everything because we had both yeah. signed non-disclosure agreements, but we, but we confirmed that we are coming back and that we're excited that we're going to be in the show. And so, you know, so that was really nice to be able to do that in person. You obviously are rogue. You're Marilyn. You're iconic. You're strong. But I want to ask you some build the tea questions here. Okay. All right. And in the comic books, Rogue not only has a relationship with Gambit, but she also has a relationship with Magneto. So I'm going to ask you, who do you think Rogue's true love is? Magneto or Rogue? Or, or Gambit, sorry. <laughs> um, well, let's just say they both have their strong points. <laughs> and we'll have to see in the course of the new series what Rogue decides to do. Interesting. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so out of the entire X-Men animated series cast, you mentioned you guys would joke, you would go out to drink together. Who was the biggest party animal of that cast? <laughs> well, I would say we all really jived on each other's energy. Let's mm. put it that way. Like when we got together, it was like we didn't want to leave. It was mm -hmm. like a play. If anybody's ever done a play and you do the show, but it's like, you don't want to go home. You want to hang out with each other. You want to talk about the show. What happened tonight? What about when you did this? Oh, that worked. That didn't work. Well, that was funny. You know, whatever. And Josh and tease each other. We were like that. We were like, or a band, like a rock band. We were like a rock band or a show. We just, the energy when we were together was amazing. So wherever we went, it was a party. Um, and the final night of this whole series, yeah, we had an amazing party. We all ended up at Cal's place. <laughs> and I was going to ask if it was Cal. <laughs> He's one of them. But um, I was pretty much a party animal, too, myself back then, I got to say. And um, I actually quit drinking 25 years ago. So the show was, what, 30 years ago? And I quit drinking 25 years ago. So. <laughs> Um, but, but Norm was a pretty good party animal too. And, and it's very sad for us that we lost Norm. Oh, this year. I know. Who voiced Cyclops, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, we really miss him and we're really sorry that he wasn't able to hang on till this new reboot happened because that would have been just great for him. And it would have been great for us to, to be back with him again. So <laughs> But he was hilarious. As... He would have, have us in stitches and, and so self-deprecating. Just, oh my God, the deliveries of his lines. He would just be so, he was a really, really funny man. So Wolverine, Cyclops, and Rogue. That's the implication <laughs> oh. I got. Are, are, are oh, the wait, biggest... I, I love how like the answer is like, yeah, <laughs> I, I probably was a big party animal back yeah. then too. I love yeah. that. And I, I, love I love that you guys got along so well. I love it. I mean, it, again, chemistry does not lie. The way you guys sound, I mean, and there's a reason why people are still seeking you guys till, the, till this day. It doesn't lie. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 
it's it's really exciting that we're all back together again. I mean, we won't be able to do it in the same room like we did in the beginning. But then again, when I read the scripts, the new scripts, to be honest, I could see it all in my mind's eye. I could hear the voices and I could even hear the music. <laughs> I mean, I could hear, I could see it all. Like because of doing the show for five seasons and now we're picking up where that show left off. It's like it was yesterday in some ways. I'm just, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I feel like uh, nothing's happened in between. <laughs> that 30 years is just gone, like zipped by and I'm right back there. As an actress, what is, is your approach to Rogue any different now? And I'm not asking no. specific plots or any, just like, just no, you're just like, that's it. Just going back to it. This yeah. is naturally who I am. Yeah. And I mean, she really is who I am. I mean, yeah. I don't do anything different or I, I, I just use all of the memories and all of the feelings and all of the emotions that I've experienced myself in my life. Mm -hmm. And I put it, I just channel it into the character I and she, and she, you know, she, she and I have had like, we've had similar experiences in many ways. And, um, so it's just easy for me to to become to become rogue. So Anna Paquin famously played rogue in the X-Men movies. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask you, what do you think of Anna Paquin's Sookie Stackhouse Southern Vampire mystery series, a.k.a. True Blood accent? Um, you know, she's an amazing young actress. And I would like I mean, I. I would like to see her really come into her own and maybe she will with this, with this show. With the X-Men, it was a very interesting for me to watch because the, the way I saw it was that they didn't bring Jubilee really into the show, mm. but they made Rogue a combination of Rogue and Jubilee. Yep, absolutely. Because, because you know, they wanted to hit that, that, that younger Mm -hmm. generation so she wasn't really the rogue that we all know from the series from the animated series mm -hmm. she's more like a combination of her and jubilee yeah yeah and so a lot of people have said well they didn't really like her performance in the x-men movies but i know it's because they were trying to get her to kind of i think they're trying to get her to straddle both of those well, the thing is, then she goes off and does True Blood, and she's she's basically you. Know, she's basically rogue with a southern right. accent, right. and you're like, why didn't they just let her do that? She's so <laughs> talented; she could do it, you know. Right. And then when we saw Days of Future Past, we were like, oh, she's totally going to be you know Lenore Zan level rogue. And mm -hmm. no, they didn't evolve her character there. So I do hope. Yeah. I mean, we don't know if That's the X Men, huh? So you know what I mean then? Yeah. And we yeah. don't know if the X-Men are coming to the MCU or when they're coming to the official, you know, the Marvel movies. But I hope when they eventually do bring a character like Rogue there, I hope they look at what you did with the character and they're like, this is the bar that's all the way up here for it. And and maybe I could play their mother or something. <sighs> Honey, you can play, you can play <laughs> Rogue. I mean, <laughs> I mean, this goes without saying. The gay boy in me is like, yes, Queen, you look flawless. Like like if oh rogue God. and marilyn monroe were matched together it's you that's it well, there you go well you should see the pictures of me as marilyn you i know i googled while we were talking yeah. <laughs> you're yeah. flawless and you look exactly the same like 
Thank you. Please, and after I, I still fit into the costumes. I mean, you oh, know, the, I've God. still got the red sequin dress, long red sequin dress I wore in the first show I did when I was nineteen. Stop. <laughs> I've got I it love in, that. In a suitcase under my bed in the in the spare bedroom, and I I bring her out at special occasions. <laughs> I have the feather boa too. The the party animal still lives. (laughs) The party animal still lives. I want to go to a party in your house. Oh my God. Yes. Après COVID. (laughs) Lenore. After COVID. Where can fans connect with you? I mean, anyone who listens to this show knows. They know where to find you. But why don't you tell us your Twitter Um, handles and what's coming up next? I I think it's at Zan Lenore. At Zan Lenore, uh, Z-A-N-N or Z-A-N-N-L-E-N-O-R-E. So Twitter. Uh, I'm on Instagram. And I think it's at Lenore Zan on Instagram. Yeah, you're, and, you're Lenore Zan on Instagram. Yeah, and those that's the best way. You can follow me on Facebook. I am on Facebook, Lenore Zan. I think I'm one of probably the only one on Facebook. Oh, my God. <laughs> probably. <laughs> um, yeah, I can't take on any more friends on Facebook because I'm already up to like 4,900. Oh, yeah. They max you out. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't know why they do that. That seems so ridiculous because they would have the bandwidth for that. I mean, you might have more than 5,000 friends. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, thanks, Sugar. The age of apocalypse is now over. And we'll see you next time.